This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast number two, episode number two. We got Ryan Altus here today. Um, I'm, I'm super pumped because uh, a lot of my podcast isn't going to be guest-driven. It's going to be more topic-driven, but we get to sit down with you today. I'm I'm pumped. You've done one podcast before with uh, Ryan Lampers, Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with uh, his wife, Hillary. They're good friends of mine, too. So uh, we got, we're in Ryan's living room today. In the background, there is a huge uh, 9x9 bull that blows my mind. Uh, and so we'll just kind of, I'll tell you what I know about you, and then you kind of fill in the gap. So Ryan, from what I know, funny story, I met him in the mountains uh, of Idaho, hunting in the same area. Uh, he hunt with his father. And, uh, and his, uh, ex-brother-in-law and, and met those guys. And, um, I don't know how we connected. We had a mutual friend who was Tyler Denham and I know Tyler's listening. What's up, Tyler? And, uh, so Tyler's a mutual friend. And I remember asking after I met you a few times, I'm like, Tyler, what's the deal with this Altus kid? He kills a lot of elk and he hunts where I hunt. And a lot of times I run into him. Is he a good dude? And, Tyler Denham vouched for it. He's like, dude, Ryan Altus is one of the best dudes I know. And I was like, crap, I can't hate him. All right. <laughs> I better get to know him then. And then I, th- yeah. I think I reached out to you, yeah. and then uh, we kind of developed a friendship and found that we had a lot of, like, just <clears throat> common ground when it came yeah. to elk hunting and passion for being in the mountains and um, learned that you were a man of faith and just a hardworking firefighter and a guy who busts his ass every year to put yourself in a position to get elk in the freezer and, and kill some pretty nice bulls as well. And, um, just been a pleasure to get to know you. And then at one point I even had an opportunity to have, um, your dad and you came over to our hunting cabin, had a beer with us. That was really cool. That's the only, only times I really got to know your dad before he passed away. And since then, yeah, I just, you're a solid dude. I think more people should be like you and get to know you. So give us your background. How'd you get started in hunting? Um, and then, How'd you become a firefighter, and what else can we know about you? Uh, let's see, how I started hunting, I've been, gosh, I can remember I was probably six or eight. No, I think I was probably eight the first time I was with my dad when he killed a bull. Uh, I think I was pretty much hooked from there. I'd been with him at camp. We'd been bear hunting and stuff, and I'd seen I'd seen him shoot a bear here and there. But the first time that I was with him when I was eight, I believe, is when he shot a, he shot a bull when I was with him, and I was just absolutely hooked from there. Uh, again, when I was 10, I was with him when he shot another bull and just, you couldn't, you couldn't pry me out of the woods. I mean, that was growing up. My room looked, had way more antlers than this. I mean, my bed was the only, like (laughs) the only place that I didn't have antlers in my room when I was growing up from a little tiny kid till I moved out when I was 18. So, I mean, I was pretty, pretty hooked on it. And I had a, a great dad who showed me the ropes who kind of explained to me everything and uh, told me about respecting animals and respecting hunters and how to do it how to do it right he was mainly a rifle hunter so I mean I grew up rifle hunting and it wasn't until I was gosh I want to say I was 16 
15 or 16 when I finally picked up a bow. My dad and I were bear hunting. Uh, <laughs> we're sitting on one of our favorite spots they call the bear spot. And this bull kept bugling down in the timber. And it was elk season as well, but we just have rifles and it's, you know, we're bear hunting. We didn't care about elk hunting because it wasn't October. And this bull comes out and still to this day, minus the two bulls that I've killed in, you know, in Wyoming and New Mexico was one of the biggest bulls I've ever seen. It was definitely the biggest bull I've ever seen in Idaho. We figured him like 360 to 380, just an absolute ginormous bull. Uh, bull my uh my dad's hunting partner had a cow call with him hit the cow call a couple times and the bull came up to 70 yards right underneath this rock that we were sitting on it's like maybe we should start thinking about bow hunting so i started bow hunting for deer and ended up just migrating right into elk and now i don't even really bow hunt for deer because idaho really just doesn't support the seasons for archery hunting but uh that's how i got started was because of my dad my dad really started me in everything i mean he got me hooked from a young age to where i fell in love with it all so how old were you when you stuck your first bull with the bow uh it was 2002 so i think i was 17 no i was 16 so it must have been 14 or 15 when i saw that big bull because it was my junior year of high school when i shot my first bull with a bow it was actually on opening day i was sitting in a tree stand over a wallow I shot him four times with my bow. <laughs> I shot him once at 15. He ran out to 40. I cow called and he stopped. So I shot him again at 40. And I'm a huge proponent of if they're standing, oh, yeah. keep shooting. Yep. I'd rather ruin a little bit of meat than not find him. So he ran out to 40. I shot him again. He ran out to 70. And he's starting to climb up this hill. So I shot him again. I kind of hit him back a little bit. And he ended up rolling down the hill. And he rolled all the way down to the creek bottom. And he stood up and he started going up again. I have three arrows in him already, and I'm like, he laid down, but he's laying down and his head's up, so I shot him again. That time I hit him, like, just right in the bottom of the chest here, but that fourth one was the last one that he took, so. Wow. <laughs> I'll yeah. always shoot an elk. If they're on their feet and I can shoot them, if I know I have an arrow in them, I'll, I'll, sh I'll take a shot. That's good for anyone listening, really, yeah. if you've never killed an elk and you're, you're wanting to. Yeah. You shoot until it's on the ground, and yeah. then... You watch enough videos or at least be uh, in the woods long enough. Elk are the toughest animal <clears throat> in the mountains. They do not want to die. Yeah. And it, you just shoot until they're yeah. until you have no more arrows or they're <laughs> yeah. on the ground. Yeah. That's awesome. Good like advice. Like my, my 2016 uh, Idaho bull, that one actually right there, I took a frontal shot, which I'm not a big proponent of frontal shots just because there's such a small window here. I took it. It's eight inches. It, you have an eight inch. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and that's if they hold still. Yeah. And that's if everything's Yeah. It's so, a lot of margin for yeah, it. So I hit right on the side. Oh, right on the no. side right here and it went on the outside of the rib cage in between the hair and the rib cage and stuck down in his back leg so it never even entered the chest cavity. Yeah. It looked great from the shot. Yep. But he turned and he ran, he ran out to about forty five yards and I call called and st and stopped him and double lunged him and he only went forty yards. But in that situation I think most people would probably just you know, like, I don't wanna move, I don't wanna move or I'm just like I'm shooting until I, you know, I've seen that video. So I know, I think I love what you did. You, you, you made a shot and it looked good. I mean, it looked great. Yeah, it looked and then great. Yeah. you cow called, he, you stopped him at 30, you knocked another arrow and then yeah. thank God you did. Cause that's that next shot yeah. smoked him. Yeah. Um, and then when you were scanning him out, that's when you found your arrow mm -hmm. basically between the hide and the ribs. Yep. It had, it he would have had an arrow yeah. souvenir in his body. Yeah. And the other thing that was interesting about that bull was that when you uh, got his shoulder out, you found... A rifle, a slug from a rifle from a, a year or more prior. The entire shoulder blade was healed back over like it was just a big, like a tennis ball on his shoulder blade. Yep. When I was, when I was boning it out, it, I kept hitting bone everywhere I'd go and ended up... I didn't find it in the shoulder blade, but when I cut, I take like everything. I take rib meat, I take mm -hmm. neck meat take everything so when i was cleaning out the rib the rib meat when i was back at my house i was trimming down the rib meat and hit a chunk of metal and yep. pulled out a pulled out a perfectly rifled slug yeah and it, i don't i don't know how they can survive that i don't know if it went through his chest cavity i don't know if it was just a really long shot and it probably just, lost energy yeah and lost hit. energy and blew through the shoulder and stuck in the rib meat i don't know huh. 
but all I know is, which that's probably what happened because it, this shoulder was, you know, blown up and I found it in rib meat. Granted, it could have been this side rib meat. I don't really know, but. Probably not. Yeah. And then do you think what, down this rabbit hole, have you ever hit a bull right in the shoulder blade with an arrow? Yeah. Just yeah. smack, boom. Yeah. And it's the worst sound you've ever heard. Yeah. And did your arrow go through the. I had, I had a bull that I killed in 2006 that I went. I hit him high in the scapula, so yes. it, you know, high in the scapula, it's pretty thin. Yeah. It's a thin bone, so you can go through the scapula pretty high, but where the scapula comes down and it forms a solid bone yeah. right there, you're not going through that. I, I stuck a bowl, uh, I don't know, 2008 probably, and I hit him just low in the scapula, and I mean, my arrow was broken off like this mm-hmm. far behind my insert, no blood on it. I yep. followed him for a couple hundred yards, but just never found anywhere that he even bled, so. Yeah, the bull I shot this year was quartering too severe, but, I mean, that was the only shot I had. And I snuck the arrow in tight, and I ended up hitting. I was pretty high. He was pretty low. So it was uh, going in low. I'm sorry, going in high and coming out low. It hit the shoulder blade, basically high scap. And like you said, it's thin up there, so it went. It broke through that and then just settled into both lungs, and he went, you know, 80 yards and died. But uh, that was a little lucky I'm I mean looking back I'm like dang if I'd been an inch to the right or an inch you know lower would have smacked that solid bone piece you're not going through that and I was with a four blade and I shoot a heavy heavy arrow and I shoot probably extra poundage because I'm short but um at the end of the day elk are tough I think that's what we're trying to hammer home is elk are tough man they're really tough and when you get one on the ground um you either made a really perfect shot or you just followed up until they were on the ground yeah um well let's get into your firefighter like, yeah. like the theme of this podcast is look man i want to relate <laughs> to people that actually support the hunting industry you know in my opinion and i may get lose friends over this the hunting industry sucks like a lot yeah. of my friends in the hunting industry are cool dudes but there's a chunk of them that i just cannot stand and the reason why i can't stand them is because they're so fake they're so unrelatable they're salesmen 24 7 selling you something and that's why i was like that's it i'm doing elk shape we're doing it for blue collared guys that maybe only have weekends to hunt yeah. like my buddy scott you know our, um or who's your buddy that's a logger up in North, um, idaho too what's his name Scott Schermeister? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. Man, that guy, he's a logger. Yeah. And he's busting his ass, and he's in the woods, you know, sun up to sundown, at least. And then he's get two days to hunt on the weekends with yep. everybody else. Yep. And that's his season. Yep. Um, I want to relate to guys like that that just, they don't have a lot of time. They're supporting a family. They're working hard. Um, and they're not out there to sell anything. But they're the end user. They're the guys that actually buy the stuff from these companies yeah. that are paying people in the industry to promote and um i think a lot of that the hunts that they go on are unrelatable i think that um what's more relatable is the -the over-the-counter hunters the general season tag holders that still get it done year after year and in my opinion guys like you that kill some animals that look like they come out of arizona but they're public ground over the counter and we want to get i want to get into your head about all that kind of stuff but you're a blue collar. You're a firefighter. You're an EMT. What do you like? What's your What's your day to day life look like? You know, which department do you uh, work at, and, and how long? What's your shifts and all? Like, just give us like a history of when you're not hunting. What are you doing? I actually don't work that much. I mean, that's why I'm so blessed as far as being able that. I mean, the time to go out and to chase these animals. I work two days on, and then I get four days off. Okay. So I work two days, four days off, and it's if I want 10 days off, all I got to do is get a trade for two days or take vacation for two days. So I typically save all my vacation days or a lot of my vacation days for September, October, November time. And I'll just take a 10 day, 10 day block here. I'll go back to work for two days and I'll take a 10 day block. Yep. So that way, I mean, I always have to come back to shower and to restock and stuff like that. So I'm really blessed when it comes to having the time off. Like if I, if I want to hunt, I just, take two days off and i just go for 10 days if i can yep. you know so that's but 48 my, <clears> hours ain't no joke i just want no, people yeah. like i work at 24 at the department i'm at and that can get you long yeah 48 hours and your call volume's up you're earning your money mm-hmm. so let's not <laughs> i mean yeah that's a sweet sweet schedule but i mean there's probably 48 yeah. blocks where you don't sleep much mm-hmm. you've saved some lives you've put out some fires mm-hmm. you've helped some people yeah. get to the hospital oh, yeah. things like that so that's cool so um, why'd you want to be a fire fireman i actually uh 
I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a professional fisherman. Oh, yeah. That obviously wasn't going to happen. So uh, I, after that, um, my dad wanted me to sell insurance with him because he was an insurance agent. So I started to kind of look into that a little bit because my dad had all the time off. He wanted to. Like, yeah. I'd, it was perfect because I'd call him on a Wednesday be like, hey, Dad, you want to go hunting tomorrow? I'd be like, uh, yeah, let me clear one of my appointments and let's go. You know, yep. So I was like, I'd like that schedule, uh, but I'm not a salesman. I'm not someone who's trying to sell stuff to people. It's just not my thing. Like, if I'm trying to sell something to you and you're like, no, I'm not interested. I'm like, all right, well, Okey see you dokey. later. <laughs> so I'm just not a salesman. I'm, it wasn't for me. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, um, I was actually roommates with uh, my buddy Matt at the time, and he was dating a girl whose dad was a chief at Spokane Valley, Spokane Valley, Spokane City. And he came home one day with, when Matt was there, and he's like, hey, why don't you just go take your EMT test? I was like, okay. So he came home. He's like, hey, would you want to do this with me? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So we took an EMT test together, or the class, I mean, yeah. not the test. So we took the class together. He ended up getting hired at Coeur d'Alene Fire, and I got, ended up getting hired at Northern Lakes Fire, which is just north of there in Hayden. Yeah. And I, it's the best job in the world. Like, I, Yes, 48 hours sucks sometimes, but to get four days off like you go home even if i sleep for 12 or 14 hours the first day i still have three days that i can still go do stuff so. yeah yeah and yeah. even if i'm a little tired if i'm going hunting i will you can figure I'll, it I'll out figure it out yeah cool. i'll just I'll, I'll miss an evening hunt i'll get up there i'll set up my camp i'll miss an evening hunt and just go to bed early and then wake That's up rest of awesome. the next day so and i from the outside looking in i did do some ride-alongs with your department <laughs> when i was kind of looking into becoming a firefighter mm -hmm. and um, I got to meet uh, your training chief, and um, just I've actually done CrossFit classes for your yeah. department. You work at a really good fire department. I yeah. mean, I really like almost all the guys. Yeah. I don't like all of them, but I, yeah, yeah. I like it anyway, <laughs> yeah. But I like a majority of the guys yeah. in your fire department. Like they're really, <clears throat> you guys got something special there. Mm -hmm. I like your. Um, you're in a good situation. I yeah. like it. I'm, and, I agree. Uh, I think, I think I, I'm glad where I'm where I'm working. I'm I. I Coeur d'Alene Fire, is, which is where Matt got hired, uh, they're just crazy busy yeah. compared to, I mean, we at least have breaks now yeah. and then where, where Matt's on, like, Medic 32, and it's just, you don't get a break. I mean, and they're 48, right? 96? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing some of my training at their station, is that three with the training tower? Uh, two. Two. Yeah. I felt sorry. And then we'd be there just for, I don't know, from 6 to 10 p.m. on a yeah. weeknight, and those guys were just nonstop running mm -hmm. calls. I'm sure that never changed, so. Yeah. Well, so firefighting's cool. You're a passionate elk hunter. Um, we're gonna we kind of got your background, but we're gonna kind of get into some elk hunting tactics because that's really the first 15 minutes is kind of just introductory. But now it's time to get after it. So we're gonna get into some of the elk hunting. That's a uh, Ryan's fiance is leaving, and by fiance, soon to be wife. I mean like um, today's the ninth. Stay the ninth. Yeah. In seven days, you're marrying that girl that just went out the door. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a yeah. second. That's crazy. Um, it is. How many hunting seasons has she dated you through? Two. That's the best answer. So always, guys, if you're getting married, think about getting married. Put that gal through two. Not one, but two hunting seasons. If you put them through one, in my opinion, they may put on a facade that, oh, yeah, that's cool. I get it. That's but. That second year, if you're already married to him, and then you do the same thing and you're gone for a month or gone weeks, for weeks, weeks, 22 days or something like that this year. They may put the smack down because they're already married to you. So uh, yeah. I don't have a lot of marital <laughs> advice. I haven't been married that long, maybe nine years. But I would say that the longer you can put a future wife through a couple hunting seasons to see how they respond. Because at the end of the day, they need to know that they're not going to change you, yeah. you know. Um, they want to, they need to marry you for who you are and hunting yeah. is part of who you are. And yes, they're a hunting widow, but they're going to get the best version of you when you come back because yeah. the mountains provide clarity as to what's really important and give you time with God and give you time to reflect and give you time to be a man and get tested and all that stuff yeah. that I love about hunting. I've tried <laughs> to explain to my wife and, yeah. and don't get me wrong. Every year there's, um, uh, there's a bumpy road, you know, mm. especially with having two kids now and me working two jobs and her working is, you know, I'm, they're all sacrificing so I can go hunt at the end of the day. That's it's, we are sacrificing that just, yeah. you know, so that's cool. I'm, I'm excited. Are you nervous about getting married? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably good. 
Um, this I think gal- if you're not nervous when you're getting married, I think there's something wrong. You seem like a guy that, you know, just judging your relationship with your dad, you guys were so close. And yeah. we have that common bond. Like, I hunt with my dad. My yeah. dad is such a good man. I want to be half the man he is. And I feel like you're probably the same way, the way your dad was. Do you have a strong desire to have a son or have a family? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the biggest thing for me, obviously, I want to pass on, you know, just my knowledge and everything outdoors. Like, I I see my best buddy, Luke. He's got he's got two little boys. <clears throat> excuse me. And just seeing the love that his boys have for the outdoors, like, and just to be able to share that, to to bring, you know, kind of your son up into the same life that you have, but try to make it even better. You know? Yeah. I definitely want to have that. I don't, I don't know that I could not have that, especially I think of like when I'm 50 or 60 years old and Christmas time rolls around and you don't have family that's coming over to the house. Like that would, that would not be, that would just be boring. Yeah. I wouldn't look forward to holidays like I do now being able to gather with family and eat good food and gossip and talk and share hunting stories. And yes. So the future missus, she wants to have kids too. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And uh, she moved up here from California. Yes. That's kind of a move, major move. It is. Cause she was like big move. She's Southern California or no, she was Northern California. Just outside of Sacramento. Okay. It was still, that's a pretty, pretty big climate change to go to North Idaho. So, How's she faring with the uh Oh, well, so degrees? far we really haven't. Uh, it's cold, but, I mean, she hasn't had to drive in snow really yet. So yeah. it's been really good so far. Yeah. I think she's going through, you know, like anybody does when they move to a new place. They don't know anybody. You know, yeah. everybody's going to go through a hard season. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be hard working for a job. You know, you, you move from California where the pay is good no matter what you do. I mean, if yep. you flip burgers, it's way higher than yep. if you're flip, flipping burgers up here. But so she's working at a job where she feels like she's making peanuts. Yeah. But she doesn't, you know, it's, I kind of have to remind her that, well, the cost of living here is nothing compared to the cost of living down there. So, yep. yes, in the grand scheme of things, you may feel like you're making peanuts, but you're actually yeah. doing pretty well. I mean, for. Definitely. It's funny that uh, you say the economics of Idaho, because I was driving in. And I was just trying to do a, like a prelude, like a video of me driving to your place yeah. to do the podcast for the Elk Shape YouTube channel. I was like, just cross the border, headed into Idaho. This is where <laughs> Ryan Altus lives. He pays state income tax. I do not. However, I pay $416 for one elk tag. Ryan buys the sportsman package. So for $110, Ryan gets his elk tag, his bear tag, his deer tag, his cougar tag, and a wolf tag. Yeah. Steelhead, salmon, archery, everything. So there's pros and cons. Idaho is a beautiful state. And if you live in California, think about moving up here. Don't. You can't handle it. It's just too cold. Yeah. Um, Idaho is terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Well, let's get into elk Thinking about moving to California. Yeah, me too. Southern (laughs) California. We want to kind of drop knowledge bombs for guys. Like this is why they really listen. Like they want to get to know you. Cool. But they really want to become a better elk hunter, um, and it's a steep learning curve. I've told people before I spent $2,800 um, in North Idaho elk tags until I finally shot my first bull, and it died. Throw that part in there. Um, and so that was a six or seven, uh, seven years of tag soup. Um, I killed some elk in other states, yeah. which I find not to be as hard as North Idaho just due to the topography, the brush, the hunting pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I feel like North Idaho, and I'm biased, is one of the harder places to kill an elk. Oh, absolutely. Consistently. And um, so it took me a long time. Um, but now, fast forward, uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm passing on bulls year after year. And, and I always get an elk. I can get an elk. I'm not too worried about yeah. it. Usually I'm just going to get an elk and fill the freezer for sure. But it's, it's just a learning curve. Yeah. Dan, now versus, you know, 16 years ago, you know, there's a lot of information to know. And uh, how can we speed up someone's learning curve? And by the way, we're talking general tag over the counter guys. We're talking places like Colorado, Montana, Idaho. Those are your three big over the counter states. We're not talking about Arizona draw, New Mexico draw on a bonus or the preference points. We're talking about maybe you live out east or maybe you're willing to drive a long ways and come hunt over the counter stuff. Let's go through some of the scenarios that people should do to prepare themselves to be successful and shorten that learning curve for hunting public land elk? I think the best thing is just 
getting out and learning for yourself. Obviously, it helps to to listen to the right podcasts or watch the right videos. Like I've been watching that the Born and Raised, the Land of the Free. That's mm-hmm. been it's been. I mean, it's pretty informational. Informational is that a word? Uh, I'm with <laughs> Informative. You on that, <laughs> it's been pretty fun just watching it i'm way behind i'm nowhere near like watching it every day but way behind but it's you know i love watching stuff like that but the biggest thing is getting your feet on the ground getting in a scenario where there's an elk and having it screw up and being like okay i'm not doing this again yep and trying it again and you change something up and okay i'm not doing that again and it's going to take 20 times before it finally comes together especially if you're solo like I've screwed up so many times. I've had, I, before my dad passed away, we were talking about how many big bulls that we've had where, you know, they're inside of that 40-yard range that I did something stupid or my dad did something stupid and never even got a shot. And it's just, I, I could cry myself to sleep thinking about every single one of them. It's never going to happen. It's never going to all come together. I mean, even still to this day, I still screw up all the time, all the time. I screwed up. 10 times in Wyoming this year on big bulls and it's the best way to learn I think is just getting your feet on the ground in the elk woods and learning except that you're going to make mistakes even as a seasoned yeah oh yeah elk killer like yourself and how you respond to that is so important so maybe even your attitude going into it know that you still don't have all the answers and you are going to still screw things up oh yeah but you got to have an attitude of it's just going to take that one and i thought you know i've been watching that series too on youtube born and raised by the way cody good job cody kelm's a good friend of mine he's always been super good to me um and he's hardworking. and i don't know his buddy trent very well but i like that um and i don't know the hush and crew but i do know steve speck of exo mountain gear so i really Mm -hmm. like their backpacking hunts um and then Corey Jacobson, I just got a hold of him, and he's going to be on this podcast, which super excites me. Now, he is in yeah. the industry, but he's, to me, a blue-collar guy. Yeah. Um, he hunts over-the-counter stuff. Did you watch some of the Wyoming hunts with him? Yes. Okay, yeah. so I don't know if you noticed this, but when Corey – Corey's the quarterback. If he's hunting with the, the guys, he's the quarterback. Mm. Uh, all the plays are ran through him, including calling until he knows that he, his call will not put him in position to kill. And he'll shut up and let the caller, quote-unquote caller, finally do their job. Um, I don't know if anyone ever noticed this. I, I noticed it right away. I was like, good Lord. Any bull bugling, he depicted where to set up. He made most of the calls mm-hmm. until it was game time or in close. And then he would put the position – he would position the caller where he wanted them. And even then, he would still be potential to do a bugle or a cow call or a calf call, uh, whatever tone he needed at the time and it was all timing and you could just tell that he had been in so many of these scenarios thousands of elk Mm -hmm. calling scenarios to where sure he's a world calling championship but i don't think that really matters it's the fact that he knows what emotion to put into a call yeah and he knows he's inside an elk's brain he knows which trail they're going to take uh where they're going to want to check wind what they're going to want to see where they're going to stand when they want to see it all those things you have to be able to like mm-hmm. all, they need to become second nature if you're going to be successful yeah and so you better start thinking like a bull elk and especially the time of year and what the, what it's after um so if you haven't if, if you guys haven't seen their series um they're filming day by day for the entire uh hunting season they started end of uh august in oregon, oregon. which opens yeah. i think the last saturday uh, of august they open um and then they rolled right into wyoming hunt in an area similar to where you hunted, I think, you know, not as many points, yeah. but, a, a, you know, somewhere over mm-hmm. in that area. And then uh, then they were down in Colorado, and then they're back up to Idaho, and they're going to finish up Montana, and they're filming day by day. Tons of editing, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. But I really like their Wyoming, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the Wyoming stuff with uh, showed off their camaraderie and all the people coming together and calling and the selflessness and um, all that stuff's really good. But I know that you and I both do – majority of our elk hunting solo yeah so what did you like about hunting with a group or some cohorts and then what are some of the minuses of hunting with some cohorts as to why you hunt so much solo because i know that you're a big time solo elk hunter yeah in my opinion yeah yeah i i love hunting with people for the camaraderie i mean that's why i think i love the 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 born and raised project uh I love at least going back to camp and having somebody to, oh, I did this. And yeah. they're like, well, why'd you do that? You know, yeah. I love having somebody there who can just 
excuse me. Sorry. He's getting a phone call, folks. <laughs> Where I can go back and, it, like, you know, you and me are at camp, like, all right, I'm stomped on this one. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I did yeah. wrong. And, like, well, what did we do here? And, you know, just have the insight from somebody else who's done it before, who screwed yeah. up that. I love having that aspect of things. I love having a caller. I mean, I love having somebody behind me that takes any of the elk's thoughts away from me. Mm-hmm. Even if I snap a twig, they're still focused on the guy that's behind me. So yep. that's what I absolutely love. I've killed a lot of bulls that my dad has called in. Mm-hmm. I love that style of hunting. At the end of the day, I love hunting by myself because I know that if I screw something up, it's on me yeah. and it's something that I can fix where I'm learning because I did this wrong. So I can fix this next time where, you know, if there's a couple people or three people and someone does the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's like, well, maybe my, what I was going to do was going to work, but you don't really know that. So you can't really fix that, you know? Yep. So next time it's like, well, you just don't do that again where you probably <laughs> were going to screw up and learn from it. Yeah. But so I love, I love hunting by myself for that reason i know that if i screw something up which i do 95 percent of the time that it's something that i can learn from that's how i learn i mean i can listen to podcasts i can watch videos but until i'm in the face of a bull that's screaming his head off at me and i do something stupid and i frustrate it at myself mm-hmm. that's when i really learn yeah so you do hunt solo majority now why haven't you found someone to call for you or like, are you just picky on your hunting partners? Is it a trust thing? Is it a, they can't keep up with me thing? Is it just, I haven't found the right like guy that we, or gal that we just jive. Well, we have good chemistry mm-hmm. in the mountains as corny as that sounds like that's important. Like, or is it just, um, you're busy and you don't, you know, what do you think it is? Cause I'm in a similar boat. Yeah. I think a lot of it is not having people that have the time off. Yeah. I mean, I hunt with people when I have people around. I have, like my buddy Luke, I go hunt with him quite often, but it's, you know, he doesn't have the day off or he's got to hunt with his uncle or, mm-hmm. you know, when my dad was around, we hunted together quite a bit. Yep. So that was my hunting partner because he was, anytime I had time off, he'd just basically come up with me. So, yeah. but since then, I just haven't had people that have the time off really. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of it. And a lot of it is trust as well. A lot of it's, I've, you know, I've been screwed over in the past with even just people talking about, like, you know, you take them into an area and they talk about the area. So it, I think that's one of the things that frustrates me the most is people that talk about, like, like, oh, yeah, we went with Ryan up here and it was amazing. And then you don't realize who you're telling and that person may go up there the next weekend or, you know, because mm-hmm. I've ran into people, I've taken people years and years ago and I go up there and come to find out they're in there again and it's like it's just frustrating you know I I, anymore I won't take people that haven't been screwed over themselves because they understand how it feels oh that's that's good that's a good rule so guys and guys listening um one of the biggest cardinal sins you can do is have someone take you into their spot that they probably it took them a long time to kind of figure out and it's a very special place and it could be public land it's still a special place to them and out of you know they brought you you're their guest and it's kind of a rule if you didn't know that you don't go back in there unless you're invited to go back in there with them it's not a place where you're like oh i'll take my buddy and i'll show him ryan's spot that ryan showed me that's really not cool in fact that's one of the biggest douchebag things you could possibly do and um if you don't understand that stop listening you're not allowed to listen to this anymore you need to really understand that so well um okay so solo elk tactics then because maybe some guys are like well i i don't have anyone to hunt with they don't have the same time off as me or i don't trust anybody to or they can't keep up with me or logistics we just can't get things lined out our schedules to line up you're gonna hunt solo what's a day in the life of ryan look like hunting solo for elk over the counter general season assuming probably archery or even rifle What's that look like to you? <clears throat> I do a lot of driving around or hiking, and I may have a bull that bugles down in the canyon, but unless they get fired up, I most of the times won't go after them. Mm-hmm. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me. Most of the times, I've spent a lot of days chasing elk that run, 
and I hate elk that run. <laughs> They're my least favorite. If once they start running, I usually just, well, you can have it. Like, yep. I'm not even going to try because the elk that run, I just can't catch up to them. I yep. can't, I haven't figured out how to get them to stop very often. Usually it's a, they keep two to 300 yards in between you and them, no matter what you do. Once they're convinced that you're probably not an elk, they're going to keep that distance. And I've learned that once they start doing that running, there's very little times that they're going to stop and be like, okay, you convinced me now. Because there was obviously something in the beginning that got them to run in the first place. So once they start running, I may chase them, you know, like down a draw or something like that to the next ridge. But, or if it's the only elk, maybe I'll, and if it's the only elk that's bugling, I'll stick with them. But if you have a good day where, okay, well, there was a bull over here, so I'm just going to go check that out. Or I know this next canyon usually has bulls in it. So if they start running, I'm usually out. So I'm you're usually looking for the right and, bull that wants yeah, to play? Yeah. Okay, what does he want? Like, what game are you trying to play with him? Like, are you looking for just complete vocalization? Just a bull want- that'll bugle. Like, if I, you know, if I hit a uh, soft cow call and they scream instantly, oh, or gosh. if I bugle and mm-hmm. they bugle right back. Game on. I'm just re- I'm looking for, and they, they don't necessarily have to bugle, like, I need them to bugle 10 times. I just want a bull that will fire off. Like I don't do a cow call and wait five minutes and then hear a little squeal in the bottom. You know, yeah. it's like you hit a couple cow calls and wait five or 10 seconds. Yep. And then a bull rips off like, okay, yep, yeah, I'm going to, I'll so go after that. Checking guy. the temperature yeah. of the local elk herds. And that may mean driving roads yep. or a dirt bike or a mm-hmm. four wheeler or covering ridges. But I've always alluded to that as well. It's all about covering ground and finding the right bull. Now, um, I've talked about in the past in my writings and is that a lot of times if I'm having a tough time locating elk, which is probably the number one thing I get in emails, is how do I find elk? I've always told people, then just drink some Diet Mountain Dew or some Red Bull at night. Get in your truck, like where we hunt in North Idaho, which is several different mountain Mm -hmm. ranges, nine units. Most of them have a road that you could drive, oh, yeah. and they are on their feet at night, most likely in September. Yeah. Bugle. Especially when there's a moon out. Locate that yeah. way, and then go, go to bed. Or park your truck and sleep in your camper or your mm-hmm. canopy or on underneath your truck, and you'll be game time in the morning. But I don't like personally, and I still, I mean, this still happens, but I like having an elk in mind to hunt the next day. Yeah. I just don't like going to bed back at camp and be like, well, I wonder where I'm going to go tomorrow because I will kill myself staying up trying to figure out reading maps yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Just like when we were in Arizona. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It was like every day was like debating on to where to go hunt elk. Yeah. So um, covering ground, is there any tips or secrets you have to covering ground to find a bull that wants to play? I mean, are you doing do – will you bugle at night? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that I will do is I'll drive around. I haven't done it a lot lately, but I used to do it all the time where you know haven't found a bull this evening so just keep driving in the dark and just bugle off ridge tops get one to bugle and just get there early uh, get there before light and even fire him up even if you're next to the truck or a couple hundred yards down off the road just fire him up when it's dark out and then move in okay once it gets light well let's stick to the theme of public land hunting and um, let's stick to the theme of how to locate out. Cause I think like that's again, the number one question I get is let's take us back last year, by the way, in 2016, if you didn't know this, Ryan killed three bulls. And if you added all three of their gross scores, you'd have, have over a thousand inches of bone. Yeah. So one was a North Idaho bull that was around three thirty. One was a New Mexico bull, which was a tag that he drew, but it's not like a landowner tag, yeah. a three seventy. And then the other one was an Arizona late season bull where you and I hunted together, kind of. Uh, and when I say kind of, I mean like we would check in at camp or, you know, but we hunted in different spots and yeah. we never hunted together. But that's kind of how we are similar in that we like that. But you killed a three, 341, 341 bull yeah. in uh, Arizona. So who um, would have been 360, but he broke up. I mean, yep. My bull was the same thing. He would have been 332, but he broke off. So he was like 316. So. I love Arizona. Anyway, so yeah. we'll take us to New Mexico. You drew a tag. We're not going to talk about the unit, but let's just say this is a perfect example. You drew this tag. You had never been there. You probably did some scouting online. You mm-hmm. probably asked some people, studied some forums. Yep. But let's just get down to, okay, you pulled up in the unit. Give us like a synopsis, a brief synopsis of how did you find out? What did you do? Well, obviously – First off, I did call. I called game wardens. I called biologists. I called anybody that I could. 
I looked up statistics on people who had drawn that unit in previous years. I tried calling a couple of those guys. Um, none of them really helped me out, but the, the game warden was the best that I called, and he told me two basic areas to really start. And I told him, I was like, I don't want to hunt anywhere where there's going to be people. I want to get miles off of everything, and I just want to get back there where people aren't going to go. He's like, okay. He's like, go here, start here, and then go here. So I had those two places on the map. I got there. I got there the night before season. It was dark, so I didn't get to do any scouting the night before season. Opening morning, I just found a trail, and I just walked. And I just kept walking and walking and walking until I started finding elk tracks and poop. And, and then I, I and Did you walk that trail in the dark at first, or yeah. did you wait till light? Okay, yeah. so you're walking in the dark. You got a headlamp. How long were you walking in the dark? I usually don't use a headlamp. Okay, how long were you walking <laughs> in the dark without a headlamp? Uh, probably only 15 or 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And then how did you make it a mile or a two mile? About a mile. And then what, did you have a lot of elevation gain? Actually? No, not really. So you just kind of went out a yeah. ridge. Yeah. Uh, up a bottom, up a creek bottom, up a creek bottom. Yeah. And then you finally found some sound, uh, yeah. some sign. I that, found some signs. Now how much sign tracks. is good to you? Uh, I was down to find anything. Cause I, I mean, driving into the area at night, it just didn't look like, it looked like mule deer country to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like elk country. So I was just, I was okay finding any elk sign whatsoever. So I found some elk sign. I ended up hearing a bugle, uh, probably five or 10 minutes after light. Nice. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm heading. I'm heading yep. up towards that bugle. And I got almost to where I was going to cut across this Canyon to go chase after this bugle and ended up spotting a couple cows out in out in one of these one of the big brush fields down there that there's acorns everywhere down there in new mexico where i was at there was a fresh burn from probably three years prior and there was acorns everywhere did the elk eat those oh they were thick in there i ended up seeing like 50 elk feet out into that 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 old burn cool and one of them spotted me because they they were feeding like straight towards me i hunt hunkered down next to the trail they ended up spotting me taking off running a bull bugled up there but uh, that's all i did is i just hiked i mean i just okay being early season because that was the first week of september yeah i i wasn't confident on going out and bugling and having a like okay a bull should answer me right yeah. now you know, yeah it's just so early so, so. you wanted to kind of get eyes and on some sign yep. or elk and cover some country okay so in that hunt i know we don't have a lot of time so i'm going to kind of fast forward you ended up at one point getting in your truck and saying screw this place yeah I want to know why you said screw this place. And then you ended up driving somewhere else. I want to know how you chose to drive there. And then you ended up going in pretty deep there mm-hmm. and getting that 370 bull. So take kind of through, fast forward through that real quick. Uh, the reason I left, I ended up seeing like a 360 bull the first place that I was at. I spent four days there. And I saw elk about every other day. And I, I didn't hear any other bugles the entire time I was there. But I ended up seeing that 360 bull. He was about a mile away, and he ended up going into a different unit. So I'm like, that's the only bull that I've seen that I want to hunt. So, um, and he's not, I can't even hunt him anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to take off. So I ended up talking to some people, uh, in the campground that I was camped at. They kind of told me about some areas, told me some places to go. So I just packed up my camp and left and went over to almost the entire other side of the, the unit. And that night just went for a, went for a hike and I didn't have time to set up my tent. So I just left everything in my truck and went for a hike and ended up as I was hiking back down to my truck, had a bull bugle. So I'm like, okay, this is, I'm setting up my tent, set up my tent. And there was three bulls that bugled almost all night from inside my tent. I could hear them <laughs> going, trying to go to sleep, being woken up at 1 a.m. It's kind from, of awesome. But at one point it'd be like kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, I need a little sleep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs to experience that though. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's, I just, picked up and moved and so just not being married to one spot is pretty important yeah. i mean it didn't have the numbers that you wanted it mm-hmm. didn't have the bull that you wanted and not a lot of people are going to hunt one particular bull which is why i have a lot of respect for you you do hunt a particular animal yeah and that's really challenging that's next level stuff but even if uh you weren't that kind of hunter you were just it the elk hunting wasn't what you liked you weren't afraid to pack your stuff up and move and i will talk about hunting with you in arizona late season was I had been there the year before mm-hmm. with a buddy, Jason Barkmeyer, and we covered some pretty good country. We saw some bulls. I did finally get one really good stock um, on a pretty decent 330 bull. Should have killed him, had him in his bed. Another hunter made a stock on him as well. I didn't see him, and that hunter came underneath with the wind at his back. Weird. And that bull smelled him, and that's why I had my boots off, and I was at 90 yards, and I was just 
going to go another 30 yards. And the cool thing about my next 30 yards was it was just a little washout. So I literally wouldn't have to crawl or anything. I was just mm-hmm. going to walk up the washout, and there would be about 50 yards. And the bull was better. I was going to wait him out until he stood up. And um, anyways, didn't get that bull. But in eight days, that's the only real opportunity I had. Mm-hmm. And I covered quite a bit. And then when you rolled down there with Adam, <laughs> you guys blew my mind at how much you were willing to cover a country and put miles on a rig. Because in Arizona, and especially that area, that's one of the most roadless areas. There's a lot of roads there. Yeah, I mean, there's that's a lot ridiculous. Of <laughs> I was talking to a guy down there. He's like, no, this is one of the least road areas there is in Arizona. I was like, good God. I thought Idaho had a lot of roads. <laughs> nope. Yeah. But you guys put so many miles. You covered so many basins. You put eyes on so many different elk. You weren't afraid mm-hmm. uh, to have a morning where you didn't see an elk, but you were trying to find new. I mean, yeah. I really respected your guys' mobile game. That was really impressive, and I learned a lot on that. So next time I go down to Arizona, I am going to be a little bit more mobile um, and figure out a way to, to cover more area and really keep learning that unit. I want to push where we were at. I want to head south more. I want to yeah. really – there's a lot of country down yeah. there. But So that's kind of a good way to find out because just put one foot in front of the other and not be afraid to change, you know, scenery until you find what you're looking for. Yep. And then looking for the sign. And the sign could be rubs, but you're looking mainly for, like, fresh tracks yep. and fresh mm-hmm. elk poop, smell like elk, and then obviously you can get eyes on elk. Yeah. And then um, – good elk country so you're you're looking for good saddles good ridges like contours of the land where elk can move and yeah. that's where you're covering ground you're mm-hmm. not doing what i used to do going down a mountain crossing a creek going up that mountain going down a mountain like i used to do so much up and down i didn't understand that elk are lazy too they like to take angled routes mm-hmm. laterals or whatever i don't know what yep. you guys call them side hills yeah side elk hills. like to take they have elk trails. They oh, have yeah. ways to navigate through the mountains. And as you can learn those, you can kind of study the sign. Yeah. Okay. Well, I did have a bunch of Q&A questions to go over. I'm going to save that for just I – don't, I don't know. We'll save that for episode three. I want to get into – yeah, I want to wrap this up in the next 15 minutes because I know you've got stuff to do. Um, I want to get into some leadership stuff. I want to get into some professional development. You as a man, we're going to maybe get spiritual here. You as a man, you're getting married in seven days. And I asked you, okay, your fiance is living with you. That's cool. And you immediately tell me, yeah, but she's sleeping in this room. I'm sleeping in that room. And we're waiting until we get married. Holy crap. Are you kidding me? How hard is that? Very. What's your why? Um, I'm very... I 100% believe the Bible, and if God's going to call me to do something, I'm going to listen. I'm not good at it. I'm not perfect at it. But I know that God tells me not to not to sleep with your wife or your fiancé before you get married, and that's what we're going to do. So we, we initially, I, I didn't even want her to live here just because of the temptation yep. aspect of it. Because I know how that would look, I mean, especially to people in my church or anything like that. Sure. But when she got up here, my parents ended up, she was going to be living in my parents' basement. And my parents actually, my mom and stepdad put their house on the market. Oh, and okay. so they didn't have room for her. So it was like, well, crap. So she's got to stay here. Otherwise, I mean, she, most places are, you know, a six-month lease, a year lease. And we didn't want to be paying for a lease after yep. we got married. So I was like, well, you can stay here, but I'm not, we're not sleeping in the same bedroom or I'm sleeping in my spare bedroom and you can have the master bedroom. It's just, I'm, I am a follower. I'm not just a, someone who calls myself a Christian. I'm truly a, trying to be a Christ follower, trying to obey. I'm not good at it and I'm not perfect at it, but yeah. So recap, if you're obedient, you're going to shoot big bulls. Is that pretty much what it comes down to? The more beating? No, are? I wouldn't say that. Okay, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, but because I know plenty of people, like even the pastor of my church, that struggles to find struggles to find elk, and I know, I know he's obedient. I mean, you know, the yeah. Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So, yeah, just because you're obedient isn't going to mean that. Oh, if I just follow what God has to say, yeah. then. But I do believe that a lot of my success has come. I do believe God has blessed me with it so that I can be a light, so that I can, it's a reason for me to talk to people, you know, people see my pictures, and they're like, oh, dude, how'd you do this, you know, we just get into a conversation that hopefully eventually leads into talking about God, or how I became, you know, how I became saved, or 
anything like that. So wow. I believe that's how my testimony has really helped them. I mean, it, I talk to people that normally wouldn't go into a church, but they'll come into my house and be like, oh, look at all these antlers, yeah. you know? And then that's where I lead into talking to them about Christ. That's pretty cool. And, you know, this podcast, I didn't, you know, I faith is a part of this podcast, but people are going to hear me swear and be me. I'm pretty loud mouth. I have a bad mouth. And, and so I don't want people to think this is a Christian-based podcast, although I am a Christian. This is more of just a, a I just want to be real, as yeah. real as I can mm-hmm. be. So, because um, I, I respect people that are just really honest and who they are. So mm-hmm. me, I'm, I'm curious to know, What's your, um, how did you struggle? And I know it was a had to be a struggle with your faith and losing your dad. Was it a struggle at all? Um, did you question God? I mean, people are listening here have lost loved ones. I actually haven't really lost a real mm-hmm. close loved one, but that day is coming. It's inevitable. Yeah. We're all here yeah. temporarily. Like, talk us through that real quick, not to get too heavy or dark, but yeah. let's get real. Let's oh, get yeah. real. Like, how hard is it losing your dad and your hunting partner, man? Like, yeah. that's your number one guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely even still to this day has been the hardest thing that I've gone through. I mean, I weekly cry, just, just break down and start crying. You know, I did, there was plenty of times where I was like, God, why me? Like, why do you have to take my dad? There's plenty of guys out there that are like, I mean, look in the news, all these guys that are sexually molesting people. Like, why can't you take one of those people? But I've had like my buddy Luke. So he lost his dad three years prior to, I lost my dad. I didn't realize it, but he was there to help me out. So he had this tool in his toolbox. It's not something that I wanted to have in common with him, but he was there to support me because he had been through it. Now I have this tool in my toolbox. It's not a tool that I wanted by any means, but it's something that I can use now for somebody who eventually in the future goes through something like this. Like for me, it was like, people are like, oh, you know, it's, he's in a better place. It's like, I don't need to hear he's in a better place. I know he is in a better place. You know, I just need people to just give me a hug, you know? So I know now like what, not everybody, but I know what most people probably need is they don't need someone to tell them like, you know, he's way better off now or I didn't need that. I just needed somebody to just be there for me. Yeah. That's cool. I think I have that tool in my toolbox now for other people and it's, you know, like kind of like an adult with a kid relationship. Like, you know, your kid wants to eat candy all day long. To the kid, that's totally normal. Like, that's good. Like, for us compared to God, like, we want our parents to be here. Yes. I mean, I, I kind of have to look at it like my relationship with God is kind of like I'm the four-year-old to a parent. Like, I don't see the whole aspect of right. things. I don't see everything that's going on. Like, the, where the four-year-old is like, I want this candy. Like They don't understand yeah. the repercussions of eating candy all day long every day. Mm-hmm. So I just have to trust and believe that I know that God is so much smarter than me that he put me through this, that there is ultimately an outcome that I may not see right now. You know, I'm just this chess piece that I can't see the whole board game. I can't see what's going on to eventually get me to where I'm supposed to be. But mm-hmm. just trusting. I mean, I did my fair share of yelling at God and why and why and why. But at the end of the day, I have to just go, yes, this sucks, but I still believe. I still trust. Let's talk about Jeff, your dad, legacy. What are some of the things that he did, represented, or carried himself in this world, you looking up to your dad, that you want to emulate? Just being a dad who's always always there like I could call him no matter what like I remember my four-wheeler broke down granted I think most dads would do this stuff but you know my four-wheeler broke down I was like six miles back in and my dad like I was on tracks so there's no way his truck was going to get up there but he got chains for his truck and you know one in the morning came up trying to get me so he only made it like an extra mile so I had to walk like five miles but still you know just someone who would drop everything to come and help out no matter what and not even just for my kids like you know like you motorcycle breaks down like 10 miles back in like i don't care if it's 1 a.m in the morning i want to be the person who will come help no matter what Mm, that's cool well we're just about out of time here i loved everything you said about that tool that god gave you because um you know you're gonna be able to bless other people through your hardship that's cool when we talk about elk shape we didn't talk about a lot about fitness t- today. 
which is my world. My world revolves around discipline, being uncomfortable as much as possible, religiously, and I mean that in the word religious, working out, training, consistency, continuity, Mm -hmm. grinding. I really am a huge advocate of just, um, in a way, dying to yourself and taking control of your life through Mm -hmm. discipline. And and a lot of that for me is just making sure that I make time for myself and exercising and be in the best physical shape I can be in. And I find that it lends itself generally well to yeah. my mindset in the mountains where there's really no hardship of the mountains that's overwhelming to me. I've been th- through worse and I can handle it. What do you do? Because I know that you're a phenomenal backpack hunter. At the end of the day, you can hike really fast, really far, really well. And I know that you can carry and pack out meat really well. And you can, you're a great hunter. One of the best hunters I know personally. So how do you do it, Ryan? Like, how are you so mentally sharp or physically sharp, spiritually sharp? Like, what are some of the daily things you do that maybe you don't want to do, but you do them in the name of discipline and uh, delayed gratification? I think the biggest one is mentally being tough. I had I don't care how in shape you are if you're not mentally tough when you're out in the woods where there's a bull that's across the canyon. Most people are like, you know, I just really don't want to do that. Where it's like, there's a bull that's bugling, I'm going. I, I, don't, I don't think of, well, that's going to be a hard pack out. That's going to be, I, I'll deal with that when it comes. Like, I think mentally tough is the biggest one for me, just knowing that. Like my dad, when I was a little kid, he used to tell me, he's like, just act like you're a horse and just, just act like you're a horse and just go. Just got to do it. Yep. You can do anything for a day. Like, If you look back in a year, you're not going to remember that hard pack out. Nope. You're going to have this awesome rack and yep. still meet in the freezer a year later from you just kn- knuckling down and doing it. That's so true. So. I've forgotten so much about my, uh, my pack outs oh, from yeah. hell um, until I'm packing out again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this yeah. really does suck. Yeah. But it's all going to be worth it. Um, so day-to-day stuff like eating clean, working out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people that are huge proponents of fitness and hunting, and then there's a lot of people that are in the camp of you don't need to be an athlete to be a good hunter, which is true, but we're talking longevity and yeah. doing this for years yeah. to come. We're talking for having a mental advantage. Now, you said mental toughness. I want to get into that in a second, but fitness-wise, what do you do for workouts, nutrition-wise? Like a brief synopsis, like summary. What so do I, you do? I'm not the I'm not like the gym guy that goes to the gym four times a week. Mm-hmm. I have a gym at my work that I use any time that I'm working and I'm available to do it. I do that workout quite a bit. Not a ton, but in the summertime, springtime, I'm shed hunting. In the summertime, I'm just backpacking, hiking into mountain lakes. I love doing mountain lakes, you know, packing for three days, yep. going backpacking. My dad and I used to always do that for my birthday. We'd go backpacking into a different mountain lake every year. That's cool. So stuff like that, like I, I just love, I love doing outdoor backpacking, hiking. I'll just go hiking, looking for sheds in the summertime. It's like, I'm not going to find anything, but I just love hiking. So, so I'll do that a ton. So you're in the mountains a lot. You're I'm around. in the mountains a lot. Yeah. Packing salt. I mean, yep. packing cameras, packing, wolf you hunting name it. in the winter. Wolf, wolf hunting. Yeah. Bear baiting in the spring. Bear baiting. Okay. So you're in the mountains pretty much year yeah. round. And then you, your fire department workouts, you're there for 48 hours. You're going to work out a couple yeah. times on that shift. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a little CrossFit gym inside yeah. there. It's pretty cool. Okay. So, so I do CrossFits when I'm there, mm-hmm. but I don't do CrossFit outside of yeah. my, my job. My and then work. nutrition wise. I'm very healthy for the most part. Yeah. Okay. I get made fun of at work for being the healthy guy. Do you eat a lot of wild game? Yeah. And then lots. what else? Salads, fruits. Yeah. I'll, a typical dinner for me is like elk burger, elk steak, and salads. Yeah. I love salads. Mornings for me, I eat four eggs every single morning, usually with some sweet potatoes or, and some bacon. Okay. Almost every morning. That sounds great. So, yeah. That's what I'm going to have when I get home. Yeah. <laughs> Supplements-wise and all that stuff, do you do any vitamins? I do vitamins, yeah. Cool. I'm definitely not the big time, like... Like fish oil? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Krill, okay. Yeah. Uh, if my knee starts hurting me, I usually do. Uh, 32. 32. Do you have any joint pain besides the I have knee. one knee problem yeah but it's not bad it's if I take ibuprofen yeah it usually there seems to be fine get from God and if I'm yeah if I'm uh if I do core workouts it seems to hurt less yeah yeah I think it's just more of the more of my body some that, deeper inner workings of the midline yeah yeah and keeps everything straight how, and yeah your body will compensate when you have some things out of whack you know 
just because your knee hurts doesn't mean that it's your knee. It could be your <laughs> yeah. hip or yeah. a weak glute mm-hmm. or your midline not firing. Okay. Yep. Well, back to that mental toughness thing. You know, I've been interested to know your take on it. I, I don't think mental toughness is something that is just born inside of you. No. I don't think I was very mentally tough early on in life. And I think bow hunting made me really tough, like mentally, yeah. like ridiculously tough, especially the more I bow hunted on my own. And I've been a solo bow hunter. I mean, I hunt with my dad. But, I mean, for example, when I was 21, I booked a hunt, drop-off solo hunt for caribou. And I hunted in Alaska by myself for, I think, six days. I got my first, like, archery caribou solo. Dude, that stuff made me who I am. Like, I had to rely on God and myself and fate just to really survive. And uh, that stuff made me. And I think about mental toughness. And I think everybody should probably strive to be more mentally tougher. And what generally makes people tough is doing things daily that they don't want to do, but that they should do in the name mm-hmm. of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. So setting goals and working your way backwards, yeah. doing the small little things, the small goals that lead to the big goal. And um, when you're looking at being mentally tougher in a scenario like elk hunting, you can rely on logic and emotion. Like logic will tell you, Ryan, you need to get over to that other side of the canyon because that is the bull that you have been given. And mm-hmm. That is your only opportunity. And logic will get you there most times. But sometimes it's not enough. And that's where you have to flip over to emotion. And you have to tell, like, go through the emotion of your why. And like, why do I really want to kill this elk so bad? Well, I really want to put my hands on that rack. <laughs> I really want to cut through that hide and get that meat off the bone. Like the emotion of the success and all the work you put into shooting your bow and scouting and mm-hmm. salting and hanging cameras and covering ground and cutting trail and riding dirt bike. That's the emotional side. Like all the sacrifice is going to be worth it. So I kind of tell people, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but it's like emotion will get you mentally stronger and logic. But you kind of have to be able to bounce back and forth in the heat of the moment mm-hmm. to get the job done done what 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 are some instances that you have to use emotion or logic daily to get to to do things you don't really want to do i think a big one you know like when i'm working at the at the fire department in our gym where say i'm on the rowing machine and i'm doing you know say i'm I'm going a thousand meters and i'm at 600 right now and i just want to stop like that's nothing that i don't want to go the extra 400 like that's like this happened to me yesterday actually. And I was like, I just want to stop. I just want to stop. But just my, I mean, everything in me is telling me like, this is too hard. Don't do it. And yep. you just, you just got to tell yourself to do it. Like, yep. I don't know if that really correlates so much with, I don't know. I don't know how, if that would be, I think that would just be my emotions. I think my emotions would be lying to me there saying yeah. like it hurts too much. Sure. And then you flip to logic and you go really at the I end ha- of the day, yeah. This is only a thousand meters. Yeah, I've done fifty thousand meters in a day hiking for sheds. Yeah, this is just a little speed bump. I can I can stick mm-hmm. to it. So yeah, you'd have to flip to logic and just talk yourself through the process of why you're doing this. Yeah, I'm doing this because I need the next four hundred meters to feel like the first six hundred. Not that bad. And if I get off now, guess what? The the last four hundred meters is always going to hurt, if not worse. And that's cool about the human body is that. You know, it's going to speak up for itself. Like your muscles are going to cringe. You were feeling a burn, your yeah. lungs, your heart rate. But the brain inside the brain is you. That's Altus or wherever you think is Altus. And Altus can say, shut up. You're doing it. Yeah. I'm in control. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's cool. I think mental toughness has a lot to do with elk hunting. And I thank bow hunting for making me a better man in so many levels. And a lot of people that don't hunt would not understand why. But the trials and tribulations that you face... And, you know, there's a lot of failures in bow hunting and probably more than successes. And that's why I like it, because everything that you earn, <laughs> you earned and you failed many times until you got there. It's so it's cool. Well, that's what the elk shapes all about is talking about blue collar guys like Ryan Altus, who get it done year after year. Let's end with this. Ryan, you killed. I can't even keep track of how many big bulls you've killed. But last year you killed a Wyoming bull or 2017 Wyoming bull. Yeah. Uh, where'd he tape out at? 369 and an eighth. Okay. And then the year before that, we talked about already, you killed three bulls over a thousand inches. 1,044 inches. 1,044 inches. All public land, all with my dad's bow. 
all public land, all with your dad's bow after he passed was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You've killed double, you know, so many elk I can't even keep track of. A lot of big ones. To me, you're a living legend, but you you represent what it's all about, just to work hard. Last parting advice for anyone listening, aspiring to be a over-the-counter public land killer assassin like yourself. <laughs> what do you got for those guys? Man, it just don't give up. I mean, I, I know that's kind of what everybody says, but probably just not giving up. Like you have friends that you have, say you have 12, 15 days and you have friends that have seven, like just because your friends leave, don't give up then. I mean, there's so many scenarios where giving up would just sticking to it, just knuckling down and just telling yourself like you can do this. Like I can do anything for a day. I'll, I've packed many of packs of meat where I'm like, I don't, I can't do this today. And I'm like, Ryan, you can do anything. You can do anything you want for a day. Rest tomorrow. Just do this now. I think I get a lot of people that, you know, hear of a lot of people that are giving up early or, you know, it's just, I'm not finding elk. I'm not hearing bugles. I'm, you got two days left. Just stick it out. Go for it. Try a new area. If you got a day left, go somewhere else. Just don't give up. That's solid advice, but it's, it can be overlooked. Yeah. So guys, don't overlook that advice. I can relate to that in so many ways with the way I elk hunt. I probably am the furthest thing from giving up. I probably try too hard. But I'd yeah. rather take that than to have a day off yeah. or try to kill one from the truck or the cabin or your hunting camp. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Don't give up. And especially I think what you do well is if you have 10 days, I bet you hunt day number 9 and 10 even harder than you did mm-hmm. day 1. You know what I mean? Oh, you yeah. take more risks, yeah. and that's why you're successful. Okay, well, this yeah. was with Ryan Altis. Ryan, where can people find you in this uh, Internet world? Uh, Facebook or Instagram, Bugle Chaser it on Instagram. Go follow Bugle Chaser. Ryan is one of the best guys I've ever met in the Elkwoods, and I'm so glad he came on today. You guys got to meet him and look him up. He's legit. Keep an eye out for next year. You never know. Uh, one thing, Ryan and I are looking at doing a Wyoming hunt together next year. We're going to go in on our points. We want to hunt an area that uh, would require a Wyoming resident to be with us. So, if you got any Wyoming residents out there that want to either hunt with Ryan and I or just going to go with us so we can be legal, we'll pay you to film the hunt, and uh, we're ready to go. And that's all I can really say about the area until you message me. But send Ryan or I a message. We are actively looking for someone to come film our hunt who is a resident in Wyoming. That's really the criteria. And then you just, yeah. you'll be able to keep up, and uh, it'll be a fun hunt. But that's what we're looking for. And Today's what, December 9th, so you've yeah. got about a month to find that person. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, looking, we're looking for that. Uh, and uh, shout out to all the uh, partners at Elk Shape that helped do this and make this thing happen. Appreciate you guys. So, all right, Ryan, that's a wrap. Thank you. You bet.